0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined
1: by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello, Kevin. Hello, whoever else is on this podcast that hasn't been introduced yet. <laughs> I guess
0: that, that's my segue into David Moore. Hello, David. How are you?
2: That was very hurtful. It was hurtful, wasn't it? Whoever it was deserved, asked. based on some things I've said about Evan, maybe when... He hasn't been on here. this podcast. And, I'm not and quite just, sure how sorry. to handle the introductions when Kevin like <laughs> he, he does them in like
1: increment, right? You know, I, it's like if I just say hello, Kevin, then I'm ignoring David. But if I say hello, David, then I've you know ignored the
2: protocol of how Kevin likes to introduce people. So, you know, you're this is a Kevin issue. You're completely correct. Somehow,
0: all of a sudden, I'm the person that's wrong here. What is wrong
2: with their social skills, Kevin? Good. When gosh. you introduce
0: people, you introduce people one at a time. You don't just say here's da, 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 You know, hello, everybody. You know, your, you your wife wonder has wonderful one.
2: social skills and then there's you. <laughs> All
0: right. So let's get back to real talk about real football. Uh, let's, let's talk about what happened to the Packers over the weekend. Uh, lost to the, to the lions uh, scored nine points. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw three interceptions, two of them in the red zone. Uh, uh, uh an awful performance by Rodgers, and which, as someone pointed out, he, he couldn't really blame his receivers for this one. Uh, he he has looked, as as some observers have said, uh, almost like he's lost his love and passion or, or whatever else he that motivates him. It's hard to tell sometimes uh, with Aaron Rodgers, but he just looks. Completely and utterly lost. He's got a 7-1 and one record against the Cowboys since 2009, I believe it is. He's 7-3 and three overall. Uh, and I, I think that that streak is probably in jeopardy at this point.
2: Well, th- it's interesting because if you watch the game last week and watch their, their previous games and what, I think their losing streak now is at five games, four mm-hmm. or five games at this stage. Uh, people will just watch that and not related to the Cowboys, will go, wow, this team, you know, no way Dallas loses to this team. They're just not playing good football. They're they're too far down to flip the switch and come out of it. It's not going to be a one-game thing. It's going to be a long climb here, a long slog. Cowboys fans will go, oh, I mean, we're going to get his best shot this Sunday. I mean, you seem – because because of that staff that you cited. I mean, they, they keep seeing Aaron Rodgers – beat them in every significant game they have played against them um for the last what 12 13 years now so they're just conditioned to oh well the Aaron Rodgers we saw against Detroit he's not going to have another game like that right well Dallas's defense is a lot better than Detroit's and they are so limited with their offensive weapons now I I think while they, they can run the ball um but they are they just lack any sort of explosion or, or vertical stretch in the passing game. And um, it, it's hard to see them getting much better this quickly against Dallas, especially with all the injuries they have. The other thing, very quickly, you mentioned, um, you know, and and even in the best of times, I don't know that Aaron Rodgers' body language and, and uh, facial expressions uh, exude uh, excitement or confidence in him, uh, but – But when you're losing, you really notice it more, right? And it reminds me a little bit of, remember the criticism of Troy Aikman, where he was too stoic. He just didn't, you know, he never smiled. It didn't look like he was having, you know, it's like when Aaron Rodgers was winning all those games, everyone just accepted he was kind of stoic and emotionless and were willing to put up with all of that or or the, you know, the the body language and, and how people, you know, react to it. Now it's like, oh, this guy, I mean, look, this is just another sign of trouble here. But I, I I do think, and you know, I think we've talked about this before, whenever a team, a veteran team that's had a lot of success, reaches the point where they know they're not a viable playoff team, so often you see those teams just collapse and crumble because they know what it takes, they know they don't have what it takes, and so there's just a sense of why beat your head against the wall this year? It's not going to happen. And, and to me, Rodgers and the and the Packers are, are right at that stretch at the midway point of the season. And that's a very dangerous place to be.
0: Yeah, it is. I, I would agree with that 100%. And, and I was, you know, and I was reading about the, the Packers situation yesterday. Um, uh, someone had written that, uh, that they think maybe it's time for a divorce. And and I do. And I think so, too. You know, I, I think Aaron Rodgers is still capable of being a great quarterback. Uh, I, I think that he can still be just as important to a, a really good team as Matthew Stafford was when he left the Lions and went to the Rams last year and won his first Super Bowl. Uh, and and let me just say this. I, I I like Matthew Stafford pretty well. Aaron Rodgers is is two
2: or three oh, degrees
0: sure. above that. And so I think at this point and after this season that some team needs to, And I, and I can't even remember what uh, Rogers uh, contract situation is. Now the, the Packers just gave him a new contract. Well, he got
2: the extension, which is going to make it a little more problematic.
0: Yeah. Uh, Evan is, is really fuming and fussing here. What is,
1: what is he's it? five years older than Stafford at this point. Aaron Rodgers looks old there. They look old and he doesn't have, as David mentioned, he doesn't have weapons right now. And, I think this is set up for the Cowboys for the Cowboys pass rush to absolutely dominate this this game. The guys well, that, they get dominant.
0: That, that's not the, I'm not saying that the Cowboys can't beat them. I think that they, they, they will and should. I think if the Cowboys don't win this game, I think it's a serious question about how far they're going to go in the playoffs this this season. If they if you can't beat a team that's on the ropes like the Packers are at this point. Well, then, you know, even if it is on the road, it's, it's not like it's – and it's not going to be, you know, 20 below zero in, in uh, at Lambeau Field this year. So they, they've got everything set up for them perfectly. They're, the Packers are out Rashawn Gary, who's uh, a linebacker. He's out, they're out there. Eric Stokes, a the cornerback. They're out uh, one of their wide receivers. Uh, this is a team, you know, in, in big-time trouble. And this is also, frankly, what you see, right, when a team's going poorly. I'm not saying these guys are faking their injuries – but this is just what it seems to happen. It's just like everybody, a domino
2: neck, Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's everybody's
0: out. out. I'm just saying that that if I, I'm I'm convinced, yes, he is 35 years old. I'm convinced though, you know, that 35 is what I said. Aaron Rodgers is 39. 39 years old. Oh, I didn't realize he was 39 years old. I thought he was 35 years old. Well, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I will no listen. Listen. <laughs> uh tom brady's playing at 45 and aaron Rodgers to me uh looks i i i don't think he looks that i think he looks defeated i don't think there's a difference between looking defeated and looking old well and, they, I, and I do think that aaron Rodgers could still right. play or something.
1: Tom, tom brady never looked defeated because he never allowed himself to get to that mental headspace well
0: think. but they never had a bad he never had a bad team in, in new england either that, that was the, the that was why we always had the old question who is it? Is it Bill Belichick or is it Tom Brady? Well, I think in the end we decided it was more Brady than it was Belichick, but still pretty good, right? But it sure seems like the Packers are really... I'm not saying they're throwing in the towel here. I'm not saying they're faking injuries. I'm just saying that this is a team that is really on the ropes and the Cowboys have to beat them up there in, in Green Bay this year. It is all set up for that. And if they do not beat the Packers up there, it says a lot about... What their playoff chances are?
2: Well, you know, I think this really from the start of last season to now. I don't know that this Cowboys team has lost too many games that was was expected to win, right? Uh, you can now you could probably you could argue that San Francisco came the playoff game, which was the biggest one, yeah. but in the regular season, um, you know, in in recent years, e- e- even with the good teams under Jason Garrett, they seem to lose a game or two against an opponent where you went, well, that, that shouldn't have happened. I I don't think you've seen that too often here with Dallas. Now, now that Denver game loss at home last year was eye-opening and, and really kind of set the stage for a very rough finish for them going into the playoffs and, and exposed some things. But we were
0: told there was a blueprint for beating the a Cowboys. A blueprint,
2: and 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 some teams appear to follow that blueprint. And in fact, San Francisco certainly seemed to follow it in the uh, playoffs, um, which is why you know Dallas has tried to address its run defense. That's still the Achilles' heel um, of this team, and and Green Bay can run, so they're going they're going to give them some issues there. But yeah, what you're talking about with the other injuries too is just. Um, Sometimes things just snowball, right? And the the phrase "when it rains, it pours." I mean, well, that's kind of where Green Bay is now. They're not just losing; they're losing key players as well, which really, which really hinders their ability to fight through in this moment and break through. You know, I I still think that by the end of the season, Green Bay will probably start to win some games and regain its equilibrium a little bit. But it's hard to see at this point with the losses they've suffered in the standings and the loss if they they've suffered from a personnel standpoint that, that they'll be able to to match Dallas here this weekend.
1: I, I see a franchise that's kind of like on a tipping point that I, I think they're they're They've reached a point where they're going to head in the, the downward cycle and and. So I, I do think that there are some elements for – I hate using this phrase, but there are some elements there for for a trap game for the Cowboys because the Packers do look so bad. But as as we've mentioned, or as you've mentioned, David, Rodgers is what against the Dallas Cowboys in his career? 7-3
2: three three overall. overall. But, yeah, 7-1, and one, seven of the last eight games. Um, yeah.
1: In addition to that, you know, the Cowboys then have the two-game stretch that, that really will determine, you know, playoff. Seating because they've got the Giants or the Vikings and the Giants in the span of 11 days. And and those are, you know, two of the four best teams in the NFC at this point. So there are some elements of of a trap game that are there, but I, I do feel like it just feels like this Cowboys team executes to its abilities more than maybe some of the Cowboys teams that we've seen in the past.
0: We, have, we haven't seen as many penalties in the last uh, few weeks, and I think that was a big thing for the Cowboys, getting behind the chains, not being able to do the things that they want to do, not being able to run the ball uh, in situations and kind of forcing them to do things. Uh, and, and speaking of that offense, David, I want to see if we've got any updates at, uh, as we're taping this on Tuesday about Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, the Cowboys have kind of made it, pretty clear that, yeah, they're interested uh, if he's interested, and he seems to be. Michael Irvin has conversations with him, and he thinks he is. Also, uh, the, you know, there have been possibilities that he's he is himself. mentioned the the Rams, uh, the Giants. Uh, I think
2: and 49ers are probably in, the, in there in as the well. Yeah. I don't
0: know why you want to go to the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback. Uh, I don't know why any wide receiver, especially a guy like – OBJ, who likes uh, to get the ball, uh, would, would want to go there. But David, do you get the idea that he is uh, completely recovered? You know, uh, there was a study that showed that of uh, the last 29 receivers who had an ACL tear the average rate of return was almost 11 months. Obviously, Michael Gallup was way out in front of that at nine months. What What are you hearing about uh, OBJ?
2: Well, at, at his age and this stage of his career and coming off another significant injury before this one, uh, I don't think you would see um, Odell Beckham Jr. in peak form, but now let's argue the relative merits of it. Is he going to give this team more in the stretch run than third round pick Jalen Tolbert, who hasn't caught a pass yet in the regular season? Yeah. Is he more of a receiving threat than Noah Brown? Uh, I think you can say that. So when you're looking at, uh, where the Cowboys are from a receiving standpoint, and I'll say this too, you know, James Washington, uh, who the Cowboys picked up from Pittsburgh in free agency in the offseason, is being cleared this week to return to practice. So that 21-day window to get him back on the field is starting up. I would argue Odell Beckham Jr. is better than James Washington. So this is an upgrade. This is a guy who, if he gives you one game in the playoffs or in the stretch run or the playoffs that you couldn't get otherwise – is he worth it? And and I think he is. And to me, this, this makes more sense for Dallas than giving up a draft pick uh, to get a Brandon Cooks and assume that $18 million contract. This is a guy that you're bringing in late. Um, he's going to fit into the locker room. He knows he's not the lead guy anymore, so you don't have any of that friction there. And he knows it's, it, he's a luxury And uh, because of the time he came in, and he knows – that he will get the ball if he gets open. So I, th- I think it's a, a really good fit. Uh, you mentioned why would he be interested in San Francisco? Leverage. Because now, to me, it's all about recruiting Odell Beckham Jr. Because teams that uh, are short on receiver, that have playoff aspirations, are saying, hey – let, let's make this move. Let's fortify ourselves going into the stretch run in Dallas. I, I think if if not at the top of the list, it's certainly near the top of the list Rodell Beckham Jr., where it makes a lot of sense for him.
0: No, he wants a multi-year deal. He wants probably a three-year That's deal. That's going to be hard to get.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and,
0: that, and that will be interesting to see because I, I think it's a no-brainer for the rest of this season just because of what you said. Is. Last year against uh, with the Rams, uh, he he wasn't great during the regular season, and the, the stats were pretty you know mundane. But Just he had like that one had huge game in the, game
2: in the playoffs, right? And but he helped him win a game. Uh, that, that's what you want.
0: He gave him a hundred yards in the NFC Championship games against the uh, yep. the Forty ers and then he caught a touchdown pass in a game that the Rams won by three points in the Super Bowl before mm-hmm. he got hurt. I yeah. mean, so that's that's why you make deals like that. But on a on a secondary uh, point, I think. The, the reason why this could be a good deal for the Cowboys is that I think CD lamb has struggled being the number one receiver. I think he has struggled in cup, co- you know, when he gets in coverage. And, and I don't think he likes that. He, he he's, he's a guy that in the open field, he's terrific. And when he's open, he looks great when he has to fight for a ball. I, I have my questions about him. And I think that a guy like with OBJ there, he's going to draw some attention away. Uh, people are going to have to consider what he can do. And that's going to be better. For uh, frankly, for CD Lamb, and I think that's why uh, you. Know, that's why Amari Cooper was good for CD Lamb. He he drew attention away from him a little bit, and you couldn't double him up. People can people can double up Lamb now, and uh, and I think it's had an impact on his game this season. So I, I, think I agree with
2: you completely. Yeah, it has not been a smooth transition for CD Lamb to be the lead receiver at the NFL level.
0: Yeah. So we'll see whether the Cowboys actually can pull that off. Uh, And if they if they have to give him a two or three year deal, I I would have uh, some uh, trepidation about that. But then again, it depends on what kind of deal you're talking about. If you're he he only played for a a million and a half for the Rams last year. So he's going to want more than that. But that's certainly reasonable for a guy who I think still has a little left in the tank like uh, Odell Beckham Jr. does. All right, that's going to do it for the Cowboys uh, segment of our podcast. We're going to move on now over and talk about uh, the Rangers a little bit. Evan's out at the uh, GM meetings, as we talked about earlier, in which he is going to find out some information for us. He's going to find out if the if the Rangers are going to get a, a couple of uh, starting pitchers. He's going to have all of that for us by the end of the week. Uh, He's going to have
2: it for us now, Evan. Uh, right? Well,
0: Go. even right now, that'd be great. Evan, what do you got for us?
2: I'm sorry, I've got some
1: breaking news here. Uh, I've got to get going. No, I listen, the free agency starts now. Um, there is basically a quiet period through the end of the week, um, which entails the teams can talk to their to players, but nobody can sign before the end of the week. The first item of business the Rangers have to do is determine whether or not, hang on just a second, can, can we pause for just a second? That, that
0: almost broke my eardrums
1: I'm gonna quit this again it's not gonna stop but whatever okay all right let, let, Kevin asked let me let me go back and, and start that answer again okay okay go start your answer again so uh, free agency starts this week. Um, but the the big date is really the end of the week when when teams can start talking and signing free agents. I, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of movement right out of the at, right out of the barrel. Um, but the Rangers' first big decision is whether or not to offer Martin Perez a qualifying offer, and I think that's the route that this team is probably headed down. The feeling being that uh, there's probably Still significant difference in where the team feels like it wants to go with a multi-year contract and where Perez feels like he's w- what Perez feels like he's worth. So the opportunity there for the for the qualifying offer at nineteen point six million dollars would exist and it would either allow the Rangers to just make another one year commitment to, to Perez, probably a little bit above market value. Or would attach free agency co- or draft pick compensation if he signs somewhere else. So that's the first order of business. I, I think the second order of business really this week is to start to lay some groundwork with teams that might be potential trade matchups. The Rangers know who they want to go after in free agency. They, they've had those meetings. Um, all the all the names that are out there are are all on the Rangers list, right? You know, they they will check on Jacob Degrom. They will. They will check with Clayton Kershaw to see what Clayton Kershaw wants to do. They will check with Carlos Rodon. They will look into Jamison Tyone and Michael Walker and Nathan Yuvaldi. All those guys are going to be out there on the market, and all those guys they will at least check in with. I think it's important right now to find out if there's a potential match for a controllable starting pitcher that won't cost them as much in terms of salary. And that the Marlins would be a potential candidate. John Heyman tweeted to start – the the GM meetings off that the Marlins are willing to listen on Pablo Lopez, who who had 180 innings last year and was, was qualifies as a workhorse at this point in time, even though it was a career high. Um, Colorado may b- make somebody like Herman Marquez Herman Marquez available, who has pitched back to back 180 inning seasons and could be under control through 24. So I think that's where the Rangers kind of have to start. And then they'll get a better feel for, okay, how are we going to allot lot free agent dollars? So you feel like that, uh, they would check in on the trade market first
0: to see what they could get then before they
1: commit I think right now, I think this week. It's important to get, to get some sense from other GMs. You've got them all here. You've got a chance to talk to them to get a better idea of like, who's serious about dealing a pitcher. Um, all the free agency talk that's going to commence next week. And, and everybody will be in the same boat there. And it comes down to who sits up as a stalking horse. You
0: know, I'm, I'm for any Avenue they want to add starting pitching, you know, whether that's through free agency or trades, either one, that's fine. As long as Dane Dunning is competing for the fifth spot in the rotation next spring, not the fourth. I think that's, I think it's a mistake to think that we're going to, you're going to fill in the two back, uh, in this rotation, with guys who are already on, uh, at the, or already in the back half of that rotation.
1: I don't disagree with you that there. Um, and, and that is something that, you know, could end up being the tipping point on whether this team really takes a step forward, um, or is positioned to take a step forward, or if it's gonna have to have a guy like Dunning really take, really perform above what he's done in his first two seasons in the big leagues to do that. So, um, in my, in my mind, you know, Dane Dunning is competing for the number five spot with those other guys like Otto and, and that group. And then the, the rest of those guys become depth options to hopefully um, get you over some humps during the season. I think if you, if you go back to a situation where Dane is your fourth guy going into the year and somebody like Otto uh, or Cole Reagans are competing for the fifth spot – all of a sudden, you're you're thinner with your depth options, and that's where you run into trouble. Um, it's where this team ran into trouble this year. So, uh, I feel like they've got a that everything hinges on how much they can do starting pitching wise. That's what they've got to put all their all their effort into right now. There are plenty of bats out there that they can fill this lineup with, and I also think Kevin that. They've got a guy who's a master manager of bullpens and has has done that in the past. There will be some challenges for Bruce Bochy. You know, the idea that he has not managed under the three-batter rule, some of that stuff will come into play. But I think the guy is pretty adept at handling a bullpen. What I think Bruce Bochy is going to want is to be able to say, and what he had with San Francisco and San Diego, was the ability to take starting pitchers, you know, deeper into games into the 6th inning, into the 7th inning, and then match up his bullpen so that he could keep guys in the bullpen fresh and so that he didn't burn guys out. You do it any other way and you're asking for trouble whether it's in June or August.
2: Evan, how how active is he in this process? And, and I mean from the standpoint of, you know, some managers go, "Okay, you know, these are the type of players I want, just put them together." Others are very much Right in there on it saying, No, this is who I need. We got to get this guy. This is how it needs to be constructed. Did, how did, do you have a feel for that yet? Just what the interaction, the d- dynamics are?
1: Well, I think, I, I do think that the Rangers are familiar enough with Bochi's train of thought to have an idea like what this guy would like. And I think he's made in his conversations with the club, both before he took the job and immediately thereafter, how he'd like to set things up. I don't think he is, um, on every conversation. You know, sometimes you send your wife a text that says, please don't send any more texts. And she says, (laughs) she sends a text that says, okay, I won't send any more texts. Um, I I, I do think he's involved in conversations, but I don't think he's like looking over the shoulder and asking to be involved in every update. If if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think right now, but Bochy is probably spending as much time trying to get a feel for the players that he's already got here and to start to establish some rapport and also kind of sort through the pitching coach situation because This is a guy who's had veteran pitching coaches and he's had a couple of guys for very long periods of times with him and by his side. And I think that's something he's got to get familiar with. I want to bring up something
0: here that we've talked a lot about pitching in the last few weeks. I want to get to catching. Um, The Rangers have a very uh, interesting situation as far as I'm concerned at catcher. Uh, They've struggled in that position for years and all of a sudden had a surplus which led them to trade. Jose Trevino to the Yankees and in his first season there not only does he have a pretty good offensive season uh, according to the fielding bible he had 22 defensive runs saved which is a, an awful hot for a catcher uh, and not only that he won a gold glove uh I'm not saying that the, the the Rangers made a mistake in trading Jose Trevino they probably should have gotten more for him considering what how he performed this season, although, you know, what would you base that on uh, going into this season? Uh, uh, But the fact is that even losing a guy who won a gold glove in his first season with the Yankees and had 22 runs saved, uh, they still got, uh, a young switch hitting catcher who's who's been who performed very well. He ran out of gas at the end of the season, but he performed very well. They still got Mitch Garver coming back, and they still got Sam Huff, a guy that they really like, uh, out there on the horizon. So uh, tell me, Evan, how do you think that's all going to work next year with those three guys? Will it end up just being Hyman and Garver at this point if they're both healthy?
1: I, I think in a best-case situation or optimal-case situation, you try and get Jonah between 80 80- – and 90 starts, and you'd probably hope to give Garver about 50 starts. So if you do the math, that's going to leave a 20-game period somewhere where where they don't have enough catching. And that's where somebody like Huff fills in. Um, Maybe they carry a third catcher again for a while, and Sam catches on a regular basis. Um, Maybe they give Jonah a 10-day break sometime during the season uh, because, as we saw, this is a guy who wore down with, with a heavier workload than, than previously. And maybe, you know, what we saw from Jonah Hahn is last year he went into the offseason and he took an approach to get himself better, and he made significant strides this year. So maybe with, with this offseason being, okay, I've got to get myself in peak physical shape, maybe he is in better position to catch 90 games. I think their catching is, is, is satisfied. I think the fact that Garver will be healthy – And if they can keep him to about 50, 55 starts behind the plate with the rest of them at DH, um, it leaves open the possibility for them to address what they really need, which is a a left fielder. They they need some more, um, some pop from left field. You know, there are some guys out there that I like uh, that won't be, that would not necessarily be terribly expensive. I think if you want to go the, the the true front line route, then there's going to be somebody like Michael Conforto out there, but that's going to be a twenty million dollar salary or more, um, and probably looking at a multi year deal for a guy who didn't play last year. Uh, you could look at somebody like a Jock Peterson, who is a platoon type guy who crushes right handers, could play left field against against right handed pitching, um, and do some DHing against some right handed pitching occasionally and that would allow you to to move Bubba Thompson and Josh Smith into the lineup more and give Garver, you know, when Garver catches, then you've got a DH option. Yeah, very interesting. I think that uh, we'll we'll see what Chris Young pushes forward here and does in his first offseason. He's got it off. I want to mention one other name in that DH just very, very quickly, just because of the relationship. I would not rule out the possibility, even though he doesn't technically fit position-wise that maybe Brandon Belt would look to come here. This is a guy who played for Bochi for a long period of time, was a very successful guy for Bochy, also a left-handed hitter. Maybe he could DH about 60 or 70 games um, and, and, and fill in in that role. And maybe that would be the guy in the clubhouse who acts almost as an extension of the manager's arm.
0: Yeah, he had quite a record and he's a, he's a good old Texas boy. So uh, that would be nice. All right. That's going to do it for our Rangers segment of the podcast. We're going to do a little potpourri and we know how much everybody loves that. Uh, and in that potpourri, we're going to talk a little bit about the colleges and we're going to talk about the Mavericks and Luka Doncic and this unbelievable burst to start the season. We're going to start off with TCU as we're taping this, uh, the college football playoff committee rankings are going to come out this evening. Uh, I'm almost positive. I would stick my, my, not so considerable reputation on the fact that the Horn Frogs will come in fourth in this version of the rankings. They were seventh in the first rankings. Uh, we had people uh, like Joel Klatt saying, of course, who who uh, covers Big 12 games, but let's put that aside for a second, to say that they were victims of brand bias, that, that Clemson should not have been ranked that highly. Uh, because their their record and the, their best win is not even as good as two of the, the horn Frogs' best wins. But Clemson lost, Alabama lost, Tennessee lost. Those were three teams that were in front of the horn Frogs in the first CFP rankings. So I certainly see TCU coming in fourth at this point. Uh, and, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say this. If they end up undefeated, I say there is no way the college football playoff can go forward without TCU this time. Bearing in mind that they got screwed and Baylor got screwed in 2014 when they did leave TCU out. um, But I think that will not happen this time because they will be one of the only three undefeated teams left in the country at that point. if, If Michigan and Ohio State, one of those two is undefeated and if Georgia is also undefeated, which well,
1: I, I like their in. chances undefeated, but I also do want to. I, I just was looking at the ESPN um, playoff predictor, right? And the good news is that that TCU is in their in their estimation ahead of both of the Pac-12 teams, which I think would be the big concern right now, right? Um, uh, with a sixteen percent chance compared to Oregon and and SC, which are 14% and 6% respectively. But the the, the playoff predictor, ESPN's playoff predictor, still has Tennessee um, ahead of, and Clemson, ahead of TCU. And maybe that is brand bias. I I think if TCU goes undefeated, look, they've got an awfully strong case. Um, But... I would. I, I'm a little bit surprised that they are not number four in ESPN's playoff predictor uh, at this point in time.
0: Yeah, he, here's the thing with the the committee. You have to remember they like to look at a team. They're basically scouting an NFL team is what they're doing. They're looking for NFL type talent, uh, and that's why you have ended up with so many Big Ten and SEC teams in the playoff. Frankly, you know they're not interested in a boy. It's a good little team. You know, they, they play really hard and they play really well and, they, and they're scrappy and, you know, they're the Odessa Permian of, you know, of, of college football. They're not looking for that. Uh, the coaches on the committee are looking for teams that are dominant up front. Uh, they have NFL type talent in the offensive and defensive lines. And that is what has hurt uh, programs. I don't know that it's so much brand bias. I don't think the coaches really care about that. I think the coaches on the committee are looking for NFL caliber talent that that is their primary concern and these things that guys that when everything else breaks down, their talent is just so great. They can take over a situation. So I, I do think that uh, it will be re- really difficult, even though th- that the the PAC 12 has been left out of the playoff now for several years. I, I do feel like that if TCU is undefeated, I just don't think they can lose uh, in this situation. So they're playing Texas this week in Austin. I'll be down there for that game. Um, that'll be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, uh, Texas is favored in that game. Uh, and I think this is another example of Vegas and the, the Texas made the, the first CFP rankings. Uh, you know, despite their record, despite their blowing that game to Oklahoma State in Stillwater, uh, I, I think that they see the talent there. We, we see that they have. First of all, probably the best running back in the country, and Bijan Robinson. They have a very talented and interesting young freshman quarterback in Quinn Ewers, and and, uh, and uh, so they and Roshan Johnson is also a great running back for Texas. So they have a lot of things going for them. I I'm interested to see how this game will go Saturday. Uh, I really don't have a great feel for it. I could see Texas winning that game if Ewers plays really well, but I could also see. TCU, because of uh, the multi-purpose threat that uh, Mitch Dugan is, uh, that I I think that they could could certainly win this game. Uh, The question for TCU has been, will always be, uh, about his defense now, which sounds like a funny thing to say, about a team that was formerly coached by Gary Patterson, um, who is now running or not, not running, but he is contributing to Texas defense uh, these days. So we'll see what goes, what, what happens with those two teams uh, this weekend. But that'll be a very fun game to watch, I hope, uh, and to write about. All right, that's going to do it for uh, the uh,
1: colleges. Wait, before we get – before I have one question before we get to the map Go ahead. Look, Texas A&M is going to play Auburn. Yeah. And the loser is going to finish last in the – sec west correct auburn's already fired their coach right and it's very possible that deon sanders could be the front runner to be auburn's next football coach what happens if a&m finishes last this year in the in the sec west what's the fallout well there won't be any fallout uh, because jimbo
0: fisher's has got a 10-year guaranteed contract and they owe him 95 million dollars uh, so he's going to be here. now. I, I talked to the athletic director, uh, last week, uh, when I went down there for a little function and, uh, he said he expected there'd be some changes in this off season. I would expect that, that what that means is, is that he'll have a new defensive coordinator. DJ Durkin hasn't worked out very well. Uh, he, and we'll see whether they can talk Jimbo into hiring an offensive coordinator who actually calls the plays and then Jimbo doesn't call the plays anymore. I think it would be very interesting to see if that can be worked out. That's going to be really hard for Jimbo's ego to give up uh, calling those plays. Uh, Connor Wegman played really good in his first game back, and then they had a flu outbreak on campus. I mean, it's like locusts are next, I think, down in College Station. So we'll, we'll see what happens with the Aggies. Uh, it is a very dark time, though. I know that there is there are some rumblings down there about people, uh, the, the big hitters saying that, you know, Uh, Jimbo wants us to be donating to these collectives so we can pay all these guys. And then they're smoking weed in the locker room and getting kicked off the team. And I, you know, if I donate a lot of money, I can get my name on a building down there. Why do I want to donate a lot of money to a guy that's going to be smoking weed in the locker room? Uh, so there, there are some real serious issues down there at this point, but you know, they're just in a, they're backed up to a, a bad situation. What do they do? How are they going to get rid of Jimbo? How are you going to get him to agree? First of all, to take uh, a, a buyout of some kind, if he's owed ninety-five million, what's it going to take? Fifty million? You know, uh, it's it's going to be a lot of money. All right, so that's that's going to do it for our college uh, segment. We're going to talk about the Mavericks a little bit now and the little bit of time we have left. David, the the, the Mavericks are off to a—they've won four games in a row. They've had a little bit of a shaky start uh, adjusting to this new lineup, which we all expected that would be the case. I think, I don't think we were counting on JaVale McGee reverting to the JaVale McGee who played here the first time. Uh, He, you know, was kind of more or less promised a starting position and he, he frankly flunked. Uh, And so now Dwight Powell is back in the starting position. He's got guys like Spencer Didwitty coming out and campaigning for him, as a matter of fact. So they're playing a little bit better around Luca, but he is carrying an inordinate amount of the load so far. Uh, Having started the season with nine games of 30 or more points, just an unbelievable start. The only other player who's ever done that to start a season, Wilt Chamberlain.
2: Wilt, yeah, and that was back in the early 60s. So, um, this is, you know, I I waffle on this that they're still too Luca centric, uh, you know, but it is early in the season. He's young, he can handle this, but this is something they have to address at least incrementally as the season goes along and and they just they haven't been together with this new group long enough yet to have a flow and they're still wrestling with the the starting center because uh you know that the issue is when when McVail's in there they look up and by the time he comes out like last night I believe they were down 7-2 uh after he started in there and so um you know Jason Kidd's even started like you know you know, he's, he's rotating. It's almost kind of like a dartboard approach on a center from one night to the next. And, and he joked last night, it's like, well, I just, I just want to give you guys something to ask questions about. So you don't know what's coming. So, (laughs) but, but, but he wants to settle in. I mean, now now it's a long season. You don't have to get this thing settled in November uh, or, or really in December. I mean, you want, there are different stages of the season where you want guys incorporated as long as you're moving toward what the final, you know, rotation is going to look like but yeah this is uh, and but but at least now they're winning close games instead of losing close games and, and that's a sign that they're uh again this this is a very talented team but it's still feeling its way and it doesn't have the rotation in place uh the way that you know they probably would like to at this stage
0: Yeah. My, my concern about Luca and and what you talked about is, is correct. Obviously last year, and really you could say even the year before he came into the season, not in good shape, uh, had to play his way into shape, change his diet. Uh, He was in much better shape to start this season. I think that's indicative of the way he's playing right now. Right. Right. But even at that, he's a, he's a big guy, you know? Uh, And uh, to me, a, a guy, his size, Being required to do the things that he's doing now uh, when, and then maybe, uh, you know, maybe his diet is better, maybe his conditioning is better, but I'm not going to say he's in peak physical form. Uh, these are things that are bound to wear him down a little bit. Uh, and so at at some point here, and as you said, uh, you know, it doesn't have to happen now, it doesn't have to happen next month, but certainly by January, they need to have a better sense of who they are, what their identity really is going to be. Is it going to be? this thing where luca has got to score 30 points for him to win? Or are they going to be in a position where, okay, now we've settled into a a rotation where we figured out, you know, what Christian Woods identity is going to be here, what Dwight Powell's going to do, how much of it he's going to be able to – to do. Is JaVel McGee going to give us anything at all? You know, uh, you know, are they going to get anything out of Compasso? Is, is, are they going to have another distributor on the floor, which is something that worked really well for them last year in the second half and into the playoffs, obviously. Uh, I, I'm interested to see frankly, if that is something that can relieve some of the load on Luca.
2: Yeah. And again, this is to me, this isn't surprising from the standpoint that Jalen Brunson left a, a huge void. Uh, I mean, he had he had um, you know sublimated his game to uh, Luca's while still being uh, a very good player. I mean, he was able through time to to carve a niche for him while taking away sacrificing part of his game to make it work with Luca. And and we always talk about I, I think I think a lot more players can play and thrive with Luka Doncic than say what did with Dirk Nowitzki because of just the style of play. But it's but, but Luca is so ball dominant, and that's when he's at his best, it still does require compromise on, on the parts of, of those players around him. And so, in, in one respect, it shouldn't be surprising that they're still trying to find this equation on just how much those around Luca get the ball and how much they handle it and, and what's the best position to be in now that Brunson is out of the mix. But... Um, again I think Brunson was a rare guy in that he still had an impact while being able to change his style of play and not every player can do that and, and uh, it, it certainly takes a, a while to, uh, to to find that formula on where they are so um yeah I, I it, they're going to be fine uh, w- with Luca there they're you know they're going to be in the postseason they his presence gives them a chance to win any series they're in. Um, but yeah, the the guys around him are going to have to carve out a more substantial niche and uh, be able to fill that night in and night out. And it's just, it's just a little early for that right now.
0: Yeah. I will say this, if Brunson were still here, I think this team, you know, might be undefeated at this point. Could uh, be. Uh, I, I think that uh, they had such great chemistry and in, uh, in the playoffs and in the second half of the season, That, uh, that would have been nice to see that they haven't really, I mean, when's the last time the Mavericks have, because even in the last years of Rick Carlisle, the last six, seven years of his, you know, every year was huge turnover on on the team. And and so you're trying to find out something new about the team every year. I'm just, you kind of get tired of that after a while. You'd like to think that a team would go into a season saying, this is who we are. This is where we go. All right. Let's just build on what we did last year.
2: Well, yeah. And we're talking, you know, very quickly about, um, just where they are. But let's go back to this time last year. I mean, this team has gone from, I mean, look who was in place with them to start last year. Um, you know, and, and now he's gone. Uh, and, and, and now Brunson is gone. So two of the top three guys around him are gone from where he was last year. And you're saying, oh, well, he's still having to score all these points. Well, yeah, the top two players he had around him uh, to start last year. Uh, you know, aren't here anymore. So that's a significant change. And they were still and state. They still got to the conference finals, which which tells you how good he is.
0: It does tell you how good he is. And it also tells you about the NBA. It tells you that, you know, if you can get just a couple of the right pieces going here, anything can happen, mm-hmm. uh, and which makes it fun. Although you can try to sell that to to Brooklyn Nets fans at this mm-hmm. point. What a what a disaster that mm-hmm. has been. That you know that's the other thing. You know, across the league, David. You know, the the Warriors are started out uh, kind of in disarray. The Lakers have been a disaster. The Nets are, are imploding. You know, some of the 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 big name, big ticket teams in the league are falling apart. It seems like to me. The perfect opportunity, and and, and with the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard is missing games because of his knee. You know, everybody felt like he was going to be ready to come back this season. The Clippers would take a big step forward. Uh, I think this is all setting up for the Mavericks very well this early in the season.
2: But they need to get their second and third guy in place, And, and right now that's still in flux. Yes, it is.
0: All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We thank you for uh, tuning in and listening. We always appreciate those listeners out there. And uh, w- when we come back next week, we'll know how the Cowboys did against the Packers up in, in uh, not-so-frigid Green Bay. We'll see if uh, uh, Mike McCarthy had a nice little homecoming up there. And we'll talk about some of the other things that are happening, and maybe even the Rangers have found themselves something by that point. don't think so, but maybe. We'll see. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you. Bye.